Well, hey, everybody. If you'd, uh, hey, that was good. Like, this is, uh, I expect more feedback, okay? So keep talking to me as we go. Um, open up your Bibles, if you would. Book of Luke, chapter 6. And uh, we are there because we are in a series of the Book of Luke. And so we've just started at the beginning, working our way through. And today we collide with uh, Luke 6, verses 27 through 36. And so that's where we are today. And uh, we welcome you and we're looking forward to uh, hearing what God has to say to us through his word. Now, as you're turning there, I want to make you aware of a few announcements, a few things going on here at the church. Uh, the first one is that you might have uh, stumbled into or collided with some big boxes in the foyer in there. Um, we don't always decorate that way, but today we did because we are collecting shoes for uh, an adoption of a family that has joined our church, the Fotas, uh, and they are adopting from China. And the way it works is if you give uh, shoes and put them in that box, it will not only help those in need as those shoes will be repurposed, but it also will help fund their adoption. So we did it today such that when half of you or more have forgotten, you might come back tonight because we have something that we'll tell you about in just a second. So you can feel free to give today. Um, they're out in the foyer, and we're excited about that. Now, before we talk about our Loving the City celebration this evening, I want to make you aware of something else that's happening at the church. As a, a church family, we are seeking to just grow into what does it mean to uh, be who we say we are. Who do we say we are? We are people who exist to make disciples who treasure Christ, love the church, love the city, and love the world. And so, as a group, we have been thinking for this first quarter, honing in on what does it look like to grow in treasuring Christ. And there's no greater place to grow in your affections for Jesus than in His Word. And so, we have uh, want to put forward to you, as we did for the past several Sundays, something called Habits of Grace. And that is, um, Pastor Byron brought to us as a pastoral group, just it takes about 60, 70 days to make a habit. So what we wanted to do was to form a habit around reading God's Word. And so if you would and want to be a part of this, you can text right now to Pastor Byron's number, 908-625-4480. And what that means when you text that number, you just put your name there and uh, you will then be entered into being a part of this uh, reading um, accountability thing. Basically, we have laid out for you, in case you don't know where to read, places you can read. If you're already reading in the Bible, you just continue where you are. Don't feel bound by this. Feel helped. But we have 60 days worth of reading right here for you. They'll be online, and it's also out in the foyer. And every single day, if you text Pastor Byron, you will get a text every single morning that encourages you to read for that next day. So we will do that. Also, if you would like, we are willing to partner you up with an accountability partner where after you've read, all you have to do is type HG, which means Habits of Grace, which means I just finished my reading. And that would encourage the person that you're partnered up with to keep reading as well. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we believe that as we see, Jesus will be changed. And so we just invite you in uh, to be a part of this challenge. And so it's not too late. Feel free to text that number for these Habits of Grace. And I look forward to uh, doing the journey with you. So these are out in the foyer, like I said, if you need them. Now, 
Uh, we also tonight are going to have a Loving the City celebration, and Quinny is going to come up and tell us more about that. Quinny! Right there, friend. Should be on. Yay. That's right. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. You guys are a lot more enthusiastic than the other group. I think they were still sleeping. Um, but I'm up here because um, I just wanted to remind you, um, and some of you guys don't know, so you get to hear it for the first time, that we are having a Loving um, the City party this evening. Um, so what is the Loving the City party? Um, some of you guys have come for a long time, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's like where our church gets together, and like we do stuff. But there's a lot of reasons that we want to invite um, you guys and the community. Um, so one of the big things we're celebrating tonight um, is baptisms. So five people from TCC are getting baptized tonight, which is really awesome. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> um, and then um, during this celebration, we um, what we love to do is um, TCC is a family, right? Like we can't, we all come from the same bloodline. Jesus is our um, brother, and God is our father, and we're all family. But we have a family, a, a community around us um, that is in our vicinity, and we want to be faithful um, to let them know that we love them and that we care for them um, and that we're here. And so what we do is um, we reach out to the community and we say, hey, guys, like, come join us. Come have fun with us. Come share a meal with us. We want to get to know you. And so um, that's really something that we want to push tonight. Um, we want you guys to meet somebody. They might be someone from DCC, honestly. Like, you might have never seen them before, and it's an opportunity for you to connect with them. Um, and it might also be somebody from the community. So we just um, really want everyone to have a good time, and we want people to connect. Um, so the fun tonight begins at 4.30. Um, here on the playground, we're going to have um, some kids stuff, um, some fun things for them to do. And then grown-ups, you guys are not without fun either. We'll have some things for you to do as well, some cornhole and some some games. Um, and then at 5.30, we'll start the baptisms. So um, we'd love to see you guys here for that so you can encourage your um, brothers and sisters who are getting baptized. Um, and then we'll start eating around 6 p.m. Um, and so if you're wondering, like, do I need to bring anything? Um, if you want to bring a blanket or a lawn chair or anything like that so you can sit um, or share with somebody else, you're welcome to do that. Um, and invite your friends and your family. Um, and we're excited to see you there. So now it's time for the sermon. Winnie, thankful for your energy, and we look forward to expending energy tonight as we uh, spend time together at Lovely City Celebration, so please feel free to come out completely free, as she said, 4.30 to 7.30. Now, let's dive into God's Word together. We are in Luke chapter 6. What I'll do is I'll read the passage in its entirety, and then after I'm done, I'll pray, and then we'll dive into trying to understand with our minds, but believe with our hearts, and live out with our hands and feet what Jesus is teaching today. So, let's read God's Word, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. 
Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. For if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the grateful, ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would right now free us from the shackles of fear, from the weight of sin, from the cloudiness of skepticism and doubt, and that you would humble us in this moment right now. You would take your word. And you would change us from the inside out. Father, please. Protect us from pride that would say, I know this already. Protect us from anything that would close us off to how your Holy Spirit wants to move in our midst now. Open up our ears that we might hear you, our loving Father, speak to us. And change lives that we might be instruments in your hands to bring about your powerful change around us. Use us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever had a time when something you knew, all of a sudden you saw a new way to do it, a new way to understand it, and it was like, Mind blown. Have you, ever, have you ever been there? Just like, I never knew this was possible, or I never knew this existed. I remember we went to Minneapolis, Minnesota. We lived there for a couple years. And as we entered into the frozen tundra of the great north, we uh, went to a wonderful church. Such a gift. We learned so much. And as we were at this church, they had a fellowship. So as they had a fellowship, this was the day before you did computer sign-ups, there were pieces of paper out and you were going to sign up for what you were going to uh, sign up with, and it said at the top, it said bars, buns, and hot dishes. And my wife and I had no idea what we were supposed to do, none, because if you're from the South, you would know casseroles, rolls, and brownies. You would not know bars, buns, and hot dishes, or as they would say them, bars, buns, and hot dishes. You wouldn't know that. And so all of a sudden, we realized that we were in a new land, a new territory. Well, it only further complicated things. I worked at Home Depot for many years to put myself through school. While I was in the paint department, someone came up to me, and they were looking for this. Not this specific brand, but a, what is this? 
Okay, so you have this amazing thing at Home Depot in the paint department, and it was this phone thing that if you just typed a couple of digits, you could literally just start talking, and the whole store would know you existed. So this person came up to me, and I was like, I'm looking for this specific thing, and they just showed it to me. And so I typed in the number, and I got over the intercom, and I said, I need some help from plumbing. Someone is looking for a commode. And it was like, you could hear a pin drop. And my coworker stopped, and they came up to me, and they said, what did you say? <laughs> Looking for a what? You said a commode? Really? What is that? I said, it's this. That's a toilet. It's not a commode. It's a toilet. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, okay. So I, all, I'm wrong here. Something's going on. I'm trying to think through this. Well, not to leave you northerners out, we would begin to talk and they would say something like this, do you want to come with? With what? With who? Prepositions demand objects, friends. You want to come with me, us? Come on, finish the sentence. But this was just cultural differences. But sometimes cultural differences shift between just preferences to right and wrong. So my wife, and she gave me permission to share this because she's kind of the, the brunt of this uh, story I'm about to tell. Um, she remembers she was sitting with some other women, and they said, and they were trying to teach her how to knit. And they're like, okay, cool, I'll try this thing, I'm going to do the knitting thing. And they said, well, what are you going to knit? And she says... I'm going to knit a toboggan. She meant this. But they heard this. The next picture, that one. <laughs> and if you look it up in the dictionary, toboggan is not a word for a hat that you wear in the winter. No, it's not. <laughs> I looked it up. I looked it up then, I looked it up last night just to see if they would change it for me. They don't. I call it a toboggan, it is a winter hat, okay? So, all of a sudden it was shifted from this is, like, that's just flat out wrong. I call it a toboggan and it's just wrong. Well, it further exasperates things when my wife was asked by her brother. Brother called her up and said this, said, Dana, how do you pronounce the capital of Hawaii. Now, my wife's family grew up in the Deep South, and there was a lot of things that we kind of laugh about to this day. One is, like, where are the Chester drawers? Well, that's chest of drawers, in case you missed that. Or, what's the, the right-of-way? It's rather than right-of-way. Well, here she was asked, what is the capital of Hawaii? And she says, well, it's Honolulu, of course. And he says, that's what I thought. It's Honolulu. <laughs> and then they called their family, and their parents said, yeah, it's Honolulu, Hawaii. <gasps> yeah. And then they were like, I was like, I'm sorry, that is not right. Let's go look at it. Same with Massachusetts. It turned into Massachusetts. I'm like, I'm sorry. There is no way you can get that out of that word. You can't do it. It's wrong. Oh, dear friends, Jesus does the same thing right here. He pushes us past preference 
to help us to have a collision of culture and shows us not just what might be good, but he shows us what is right and what is wrong. And what he begins to teach us right here is so out of step with the culture in which we live that we scarcely understand what he's saying. But what he is doing right now is he is introducing us to a new culture because Jesus specializes in making things new. And when you collide with the living God of the universe and you renounce your self-sufficiency and you declare that he is the only one that can rescue your heart, all things become new. Values become new. Desires become new. And you're changed from the inside out. And what Jesus wants us to see in these moments is that when you come to him, By his amazing grace, and he changes you and makes you new, he introduces you to a new culture, a new way of thinking, a way of thinking that seems out of step with where we are. And here are three new things that characterize this new culture. He teaches us, one, a new way of loving, two, a new way of giving, and three, a new way of living. A new way of loving, a new way of giving, and a new way of living. He is going to come to us and teach us about this new culture, what it is to live for a new king, Jesus himself. So he begins in verse 27, and let's look at how he shows us a new way of loving. Verse 27 begins like this. It says, but I say to you who hear... Now, right off the bat, he is not giving us a test to see if we hear really well. He is saying, do you believe me? Do you trust me with your whole heart? It's where he's already been. For those of you who haven't been with us, we've been trucking through the book of Luke. But even last week, he uses phrase like, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Who in the world are the blessed ones to God? It is those who, according to the psalmist, Blessed are those who make the Lord their trust. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. How are you blessed? You're blessed by no work of your own. You are blessed by the work of another on your behalf. Jesus came, he stood in your place, he died the death that you deserved after living the life that you couldn't live. He rose three days later to show he's more powerful than anything you will face and that he loves you to a degree that you have never known. And when he came to us, he says, trust in me. Don't make people, don't make treasure, don't make homes or cars or jobs or your bank account. Don't make those your treasure. Make me your treasure and you will be able to sufficiently enjoy every other secondary thing. And for all who trust in him and him alone for the forgiveness of sins, he's the only one that can rid you of the shame and guilt that you battle with Because of sin, he says you are blessed. 
you will find satisfaction. You will find the joy and peace and the rest that you are craving. That's what it means to be blessed. And that's who he's addressing in verse 27 when he says, But I say to you who hear, that means I say to you who have made me their trust, who love me and who want to follow me, I'm speaking to you now. So now everything that he's speaking afterwards is saying, You have the foundation of making the Lord your trust. And now everything that I'm about to tell you is the fruit that hangs on the tree of the one who says, my roots are in the Savior. And he introduces a new culture. A whole new culture and a new way to love. And here's what he says. Love your enemies. You see that in verse 27? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Love your enemies. Who are the enemies? Well, he tells us a little bit right here, doesn't he? The enemies are those who hate you. And those who curse you. And those who abuse you. And those who strike you. And those who steal from you. These are the enemies. He's laid it out for us. The general banner of love your enemies. He fleshes it out on what this love looks like. And who these enemies are. But an enemy is someone who tries to attack or harm you. And regularly it means someone who intentionally and habitually is against you. And sometimes we get this a little confused and we make some people enemies and we blow this up a little bit more than it should be. That when your spouse does something and they're, they're just kind of absent-minded and forgetful and they keep being absent-minded and forgetful, all of a sudden we start treating each other as enemies. It's not what we're talking about here. Spouse is not meant to be an enemy. Your children are not meant to be enemies. Those in the church are not meant to be enemies. An enemy, according to the scriptures, are those who intentionally and habitually are against you, who hate you, who curse you, abuse you, strike you, or steal from you. And so, how do we respond when that happens? How do we respond? Well, first of all, you need to hear this loudly and clearly. God hates it when people hate, when people abuse, when people curse, when people strike one another, when people steal from one another. All those things are evidences that something else is that person's treasure and they are Living a life of brokenness contrary to God's beautiful design. He hates that. And so what is your response? It is appropriate to hate these broken things that are in our world and to hate that these things are being done. And it is appropriate for you to be sad when you are a recipient of those things. It's okay to grieve and to be sad that you are the recipient of some type of abuse or slander or hatred, or misrepresentation, or somebody took from you, or actually struck you, it's okay. However, 
Jesus does not allow us to stay in a posture of sadness that leads to distance or attack. And here's what I mean. When Jesus says, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, with those words, Jesus puts an all-out assault on our culture's predictable behavior. What's so predictable about our behavior in culture? Well, oh, they did it to me, I'll show them, I'll do it to them. Well, I'll give them back what they gave me. That's what they deserve. If you are a parent and your kids are able to talk, and if they have interacted with someone else or they have siblings, you will have heard this phrase. Well, they did it to me first. As if that makes it better. They hit me with that ball, so I threw the ball at them. They called me a name, so I called them a name. They stole my Legos, so I stole their Legos. However it rolls, this is the way it works in our culture. And it's not surprising. That's how our culture thinks it's supposed to work. And sadly, adults don't act any differently. Well, they cut me off. I'll cut them off. I'll show them. I'll get in front of them and I'll slow down. Well, they cheated me. They did that to me at work. Well, I'll show them. I'll do that to them at work. And Jesus assaults, attacks the predictable revenge and returning evil for evil, and he turns it upside down. And he shifts it from getting ahead to loving those who are behind. From bitterness to brokenness. From personal attack to prayerful anticipation. Jesus shocks us to the core of what it means to deal with our enemies. He's serious about it. What are we to do? What does love do? What is love itself? Love is not an emotional feeling that then when you feel it, you can do something kind. Love is a choice that says, I intentionally set my affections upon you and I am going to do good to you no matter how I feel. This is why marriages crumble is because they operate solely upon feeling and I'm sorry but any person you spend a long period of time with, you will stop liking them sometimes. It's going to happen. Because whether you want to admit it and whether I want to admit it or not, I am the center of my world. And when anyone tries to jeopardize that or tries to place themselves there and doesn't flatter me and tell me that I'm the center of everybody's world, I don't like that very much. And of course, my heart rages, and I don't want to love. I don't want to be kind. I don't want to serve. I want them to know how much I'm serving. I want them to be thankful for me. I want them to make sure that I'm comfortable. Jesus says, it's a different culture. 
I have saved you. I have made you. And we must think differently. We love our enemies. Enemies. We do good to them. I want what is good for you who hate me. He goes on. He says, to bless those who curse you. That means with their mouth, they are saying things that tear you down, misrepresent you, slander you, whatever. And he is saying the answer to that is not to return with your mouth the same thing, but to bless them, encourage them, tell them that you want good for them. When someone abuses you, the bitterness can so overtake the heart. And he says the answer to that bitterness is to pray for that person's healing and brokenness. This happens all the time in homes. Brothers and sisters are regularly together. They sometimes struggle to like each other. But there are usually three responses when I look in multiple homes and multiple relationships with brothers and sisters. It's either when someone makes fun of someone, the answer might be, I'm going to fight them. I'm going to say, I'll I'll, I'll one-up them with my mouth. Or I'm going to run from them. And so many times that can be tears or hiding or silent treatment. So fight, flight, or for some it just leads to paralyzation, to being frozen. And you don't know what to do. You're just debilitated by it. And this verse, although Jesus is near to the brokenhearted and he understands and hates the grief that you are going through, it does not allow us to attack, it does not allow us to withdraw in indifference, and it does not allow us to be frozen for a long period of time. Instead, we love. We do good, we bless, and we pray. It even says, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. This is this sense that back then there was this practice of disapproval when you would get the backhand slap. I mean, can you imagine if someone backhand slapped you? What would you do? Come on, don't act all holy on me. You know what you would do. If you weren't caught off guard and in tears or on the ground or something, you'd be... Very tempted to backhand slap them, right? Jesus is like, I'm creating a new culture. I'm creating a new culture. And it's a culture that it's not okay just to say, well, I didn't yell at them. Well, I didn't hit them. He says, that's not enough. We take the step of doing good. We go the extra mile. It's out of step. Our culture doesn't understand this. But friends, let me tell you this. If as you have been loving, if you have not been questioned about how your love might be foolish, or really you're going to love to that degree, then you probably have not experienced the joy that Jesus is offering us right here in loving your enemies. If your love hasn't been questioned, meaning your love is just easy and it hasn't been hard and it doesn't look odd to the surrounding world, then you are probably missing out 
on what Jesus is offering us right here. Love your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you. And now friends, I understand. You're like, but is there time for me to defend myself? There are some situations. There are passages in the scripture. There are passages in the scripture where it says, Acts 22.1, when Paul was wrongly accused and he was taken before the courts. And it says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Is there a place where you can defend yourself? Yes, there are times. Luke 12, 11, it says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. And he goes on to say that God will give you what you should say in the right time. There are examples of defending yourself. There are also examples of you fleeing some really dangerous situations. We've already seen one earlier in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 29. You remember when the crowd gathered in around Jesus, they didn't like what he was saying. They pushed him to the edge of the cliff, and it says that he had to go through the middle of the crowd and leave. Well, there's another instance in John 8, 59, where it says, And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. There are several situations where Paul sought to escape through a basket to leave those who were persecuting him. So I understand there are times when defense has to happen and there are times when escape has to happen. But don't let those camouflage the true teaching of this passage which is our love is out of step with this culture. Because it is a Christ that we are following who creates a new culture. A love that is pursuing those who are against us, not punching them. And friends, when we experience these things, there are times, if you're being bullied in school, what do you do in those situations? Well, you appeal to an authority, a teacher or a principal. If you are being abused in your home, domestically, sometimes you have to go to the authorities in order to right this wrong those things are loving things because many times our acts of love are to try to prevent others from being hurt by these same things but at the end of the day the teaching is is quite clear sometimes painfully so there's an assault on our culture of revenge and returning evil for evil getting people back when they do us wrong and it's not just refraining from doing them evil. It is actually pursuing doing them good. It's a new way of loving. It's not only a new way of loving, it's a new way of giving. Look at verses 30. At verse 30. Verse 30 teaches us a new way of giving. And it says, Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Here, he is laying out a sense of radical generosity. He's asking us to think about our possessions differently than maybe we've ever thought about them. I'll never forget growing up and visiting my grandmother, my nana. My nana 
she uh, lived through a little bit and the residuals definitely of the Great Depression. And as my as I would go to my Nana's house, there were times I would walk in and you would literally think there were icicles hanging from the ceiling and there you could hang meat in the back room. Like it was cold. And there would be my Nana sitting in a chair, wrapped up in a blanket, reading a book or watching Perry Mason or Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> and as she was sitting there, I was like, Nana. Do you not know what this is on your wall? It's called a thermostat. And if you hit the up arrow, it will get warmer. And she would look at me with that little twinkle in her eye and say, and who's going to pay for it? And I was like, it's like, mind blown. Really? Every time I hit this, it costs money? She'd do the same thing with the refrigerator. Close the refrigerator door. You know, this was before your refrigerators talked to you and beeped at you incessantly telling you the door is ajar. This is, I would leave it open. This costs money. It was like, oh, really? I didn't know that. And then she would be like, okay, there's this. I need to go get something at the store. She would go to the store and come back. Stink, I forgot this. Well, what do we do? We'll go back out and get it. Not my nana. You take several, you take a few trips and get what you need. If you didn't get it, then you wait till later to get it. I was like, there's different ways to think about things. Okay, this is helpful. I'll never forget when my wife and I went to Africa to adopt our two children. We took three separate trips to make these adoptions happen. And it was amazing how my first world culture collided with that third world culture. And how precious to them water was. And how much I took it for granted. If you filled up a jar with water and the use that you had for that, all of a sudden you weren't going to need it. You did not just pour it out on the plants next to you. You kept it. And you waited because this was the only water you could have for a short season. When I go into my closet and it's filled with clothes and I have choices. And I, looked at, I look at many that were there and they had no choices. They did good to have what they had on their backs. It's a new way to view possessions. And you know what? Almost every time I've been overseas when someone was in abject poverty, they were happier than most Americans I knew. Because their happiness was connected to something deeper beyond possessions. And sadly, friends, I'm not sure we know how to have happiness apart from our possessions. And the rush of buying and getting in order to satisfy this craving that Jesus says, I'm the only one who will be able to satisfy that core propensity in you. Jesus is introducing us to a new culture. More strange than Africa was to me. It's a culture that is known more for giving than receiving. All throughout the history of the church, Christians were known for their radical generosity. And I'm not just talking about the rich ones. They were all known for their radical generosity. Especially those who did not have. And do you know why? Because 
God has a different category of labeling people than we do. Those who have money are not rich people. They are people who have riches. And people who do not have money, they are not poor people. They are people who find themselves in poverty. Why do I say this? Because you are not identified as your core identity by what you have and what you do not have. There is one thing that identifies you, and it's where your allegiance lies. Who your king is. And are you a child or are you not? And it is so poisoning how money can enter into how we think about people. If someone is wealthy, many of us will cower. We will want to please them. We will believe they've got power and we want to get their approval. If someone is poor, some of us will be tempted to look down upon them. Although we do not know their story or how they got to where they got or what they did not have access to that maybe you might have access to. And we get self-righteous and we look down. We're living like our culture. You are not defined by what you have or what you don't have. You are not defined by your bank account, by your job, by your marital status. You are not defined by what people think of you. You are defined by where your trust lies. It's an issue of identity. And he is saying, if you are identified in me, then those who trust in me for the forgiveness of sins, they will be characterized by this new culture of generosity, rich or poor. They'll be characterized by giving. And so he says in verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. This is the church. Church is meant to be known as a people who gives to those who are truly in need. We must be a people who are generous. And when someone takes away your goods, don't demand them back. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or the musical Les Mis, but that's how it begins, Les Miserables, (laughs) however you want to say it. If you've ever seen the beginning when something was stolen and then the remarkable generosity where the story was changed. No, I was giving them this. Here, take more. And it set this man on a trajectory of understanding grace. Some of us, we give to get the return or we give to expect something in return. And here he is saying Christians should be known for their generosity. They should be known for their radical generosity. Now, for some of you, you're like, well, how far do I go? What what does this mean? I understand. I understand that there are some times when it's foolish to give. God does ask us to be wise. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs or swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. But there's this sense that sometimes your generosity will be used to hurt them and to hurt others. And so he says, be wise. Yeah, I get that. 
There's also a situation where he says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 when he addresses someone who is lazy. And he says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. There's supposed to be consequences to not working. And so I get that. I get that. But once again, if your generosity has not been so radical and so broad that maybe it has even been questioned by someone else, are you sure that you need to do this? Then you are probably missing out on the depth of joy that God has when he calls us to be generous. Now the hard thing about generosity is he also says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I understand that. I understand that. I want you to know this church is a generous church. You don't go around telling people how generous you are, but I hear the stories. I hear the stories of some people who struggle to make ends meet who will make a meal for someone and take it to them because they're experiencing some deep sadness. I hear the stories of people loaning out cars so that people can have a ride when they didn't have a ride. I've, I've heard stories of people allowing their house to be used when somebody didn't have a home. I hear stories of people who inconvenience their schedules and end up taking somebody out to eat just to try to bless them and to hear their story. I hear stories over and over of people watching children, not for pay, but just in order to bless somebody when they know they could rightfully get a wage for watching children. I hear story after story after story of generosity, and I'm thankful for this church. I am. But God is calling us to look at our lives to be radically generous. And the measure of our generosity is not the person sitting next to you. It is not who you compare with. Don't salve your conscience by comparing your giving to someone else's and say, I'm more generous than them. I'm good. You fall on your face and you ask the living God of the universe what it looks like for you to be generous. The takeaway from this time should be that we radically reprioritize. There should be conversations in home in homes, budgets looked at and rearranged because I know this. If you wait till the end of the month to give, it will not be there most times. But if you prioritize it when the check comes in, then all of a sudden you have something to give. He is saying Christians must be generous in their lives because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money will suck you in and you will love it more than your king. And let me let you in on something that many preachers don't talk about. I don't believe the Bible prescribes a 10% tithe. I believe that was the Old Testament pattern, and I believe now it calls us to grace giving. But when I counsel and give wisdom, I tell people to start at 10%. That's what I do. Is that a law? No, it's not. But you've got to start somewhere. And there seems to be a pattern in the scriptures of really calling us beyond way more than that. Give to everyone who begs from you. 
that assumes proximity, that you are in relationship with people, and it, it assumes that you're going to intentionally think about how you can give to bless those around you. How can we do this? Because, friends, it's been done for us. We are not left without an example of what it means to give and what it means to love. When you go back and read, who is the one that perfectly loved his enemies, even to the point of death and death on the cross? It's Jesus. We are not left without an example of what generosity and what love look like. We have a Savior who when someone hated him, he did them good by dying for them. We have a Savior that when he was cursed, it says that he was like a sheep headed to the slaughter. And while he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He blessed them. When people were ready to abuse him and mock him, Jesus spent his last hours praying for them. And what does it look like for Jesus to be generous? You will never give up anything even if you gave up millions upon millions that compare to the Father leaving glory and coming down to us. We can only give because He first gave to us. We can only be generous because He first was generous to us. And He gave His life as a ransom for us. I know, friends, this is what happens when cultures collide. You get uncomfortable. I get it. For those of you who are guests, we don't talk about finances a ton here at the church. It's in the text. We have to deal with it. And Jesus says it's the new culture he's creating. That we are known for radical love and we're known for radical giving. A new way of loving and a new way of giving. And this is what he calls us to. And finally, a new way of living. It says in verse 31, As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You might have heard this. It's called the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And here he is stating that we are meant to not just refrain from evil, but we are to do good to others. And do good to others in a degree that is shocking. Because we are his representatives. I was uh, spending some time with a, uh, this week with a pastor. His name is uh, Dr. Tony Evans. And he is um, an amazing man of God. And he told this story. And I felt like it was helpful as we began to talk about cultures colliding. He began to talk about NFL football. He's actually the chaplain, was the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys, and now his son takes that chaplain role, and he is the current chaplain of the Dallas Mavericks. So he tells a story about NFL football, and he invites us in. Here's the story. When two teams play each other, let's take the Panthers and the Falcons, they have a love-hate relationship. They love hating each other. And so... They, when they play each other, you have two opposing teams that will never collaborate. They come together and all they're going to do is fight. You will not see them giving away points to one another. 
You will not see them saying, oh, please, go ahead and catch the ball. I won't try to stop you. The whole goal is that they will fight and they will oppose one another. And there's only one brief moment of civility, and that's when they come around for a coin toss. And it's at the coin toss when there's a third team that's introduced. This third team is the team of officials. As he said, they are not on the field, or they are on the field, but not of the field. Their obligation is to a higher order, that is to the NFL. They represent who the NFL is up here, down here on the field. And they are governed by a book. A book that doesn't allow personal preferences. The refs don't get to choose what they call. They are subjected to that book. And sometimes by doing what the book says, they will be booed. Sometimes they will be cheered. But whether booed or cheered, they are there to rule as a representative of the NFL. That's their job. To be a unified voice. How crazy would it be if the referees began to argue with one another and they all put on their little microphone and started yelling out, these are the ten different ways that I think this play should be called. No, they come together unified with one voice. And this is a picture of us. A world is fighting around us and they are telling us how we should live. But we are meant to represent a higher authority, a higher king, subjected to his book of rules, a book that leads to life and joy, a book that says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You might be booed, you might be cheered, but at the end of the day, someone who's a part of a new culture, they live for the glory of the king, the glory of their father. And so Jesus tells us what it looks like to live as that representative. He says in verse 32, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. It's easy to love those who love you back. And then he goes on, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. When he says do to others as you would have them do to you, it doesn't mean get them what you want. <laughs> That's the fallacy of Christmas bad gift giving. I want to get you what I want. That's not how it rolls. You do for others what you want done for yourself. What do you want? You want somebody to listen to you. You love it when somebody sacrifices for you or serves you. You love it when somebody understands you, when someone doesn't hold your wrongs against you. You love it when someone hears you out. And this is what the passage is saying. Love like you want to be loved. Don't return to people what they give to you. It doesn't take anything supernatural to do that at all. Everybody does that. Let's be tired of doing what everybody else is doing. Let's be completely different. Let's love our enemies. Let's give generously. And now let's don't just refrain from evil, but let's do good. And do it to a degree that it's shocking. 
And so he summarizes the whole thing in verse 35. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And he calls us to look beyond what we can hold to a day to come. He says, and your reward will be great. It's the same phrase he uses earlier when he says your reward will be great in heaven. And he says, and you will be sons of the Most High. That is, you will have demonstrated that you are his children. How? Because what characterizes God? The next phrase. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And honestly, as much as I and you don't want to be lumped into that phrase, the ungrateful and the evil are us. And he's been kind to us. He's been merciful to us. And he comes to us and gives his life for us. And he says, I will be your father. And I'm merciful to you. Now, as I'm merciful to you, you be merciful to others. Dear friends, why does Jesus lay this out? Because it's in the area of enemies, it's in the area of our finances, it's in the area of our doing good deeds where the world will be shocked if we obey this. Jesus is after glory for those who don't know him. From those who don't know him, they are, he is after that we would reflect him. So when you are attacked and abused and you love, the world stands up and says, where'd that come from? And when you give, Sometimes generously and sacrificially and you sacrifice something that you thought you wanted and you go instead to give here and the world stands up and is like, why did you do that? And when you choose to do good and to pray for others and to bless and they're like, that doesn't make any sense, that's the moment that Jesus shines. He introduces you to a new culture. A culture that gives you more joy and a culture that shines brighter to a lost and dying world. And he says, blessed are those. Blessed are those who delight in me. And live in a new way of living, a new way of giving, and a new way of loving. Let's pray.